Australia's premier user experience design conference. This is UX Australia 2018. Gordon McNanny is the content strategy director for AKQA and he's one of the many speakers here at UX Australia 2018. Uh, Gordon, welcome. Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be here. What have you loved so far about UX Australia 2018? I think when you're in the design industry, digital industry, you do a lot of work with small teams, but you don't meet people from across lots of different businesses, organizations, people who have very different ambitions in what they're doing, even though what they're doing is similar to what you do. So getting together and talking about the, the issues that you face every day and learning about how others are facing them and you know, overcoming challenges and making good things happen is a, a good way to spend a couple of days. Gordon, your talk here at UX Australia was on context-sensitive help, or CSH. Can you walk us through what we mean by that? Everyone who uses the, the internet knows what context-sensitive help is, even if they've never actually called it that or considered that that's what it might be. It's also called contextual help or embedded help, and it is a simple way of giving users information that gets them past the bumpy points the classic context-sensitive help is a tooltip, a little eye with a circle that says, hey, if you're not sure what's going on here, we can give you a, a bit of a clue to what's happening and help you to continue on your way. So rather than having to pull out of your context, go into some FAQ page or help section and try to figure out what it is that you're trying to get done and how to do it, that information is, is right there for you. And it's, it's an important way to really make people's experiences a lot smoother. I see a lot of that when I'm filling out forms. There'll be the little, the little icon, I guess, and it provides more information on, what, on how, I guess, how I'm supposed to answer that question or, or fill out that particular field. Form fields and inline help are very, very familiar types of context-sensitive help. And one of the things that I, I showed in my talk was a Kickstarter form that actually is a little bit smarter than the typical help that you would find in a form. So if you type in a Gmail address, but you misspell Gmail, it knows that you're filling out an email address. You've spelled Gmail without an A, but that's probably a Gmail address. So rather than just putting up a message that says, sign in failed or something else that or or letting you go forward and try to you know put the address in correctly it suggests that you're probably trying to put in a gmail address and that kind of kind of smart context sensitive help is really where ux designers need to be going with context sensitive help i think we're all used to very simple help but i think we can do small things to make it better we often think that you know artificial intelligence does does it all the bells and whistles you know that there's there's nothing else to do but you've clearly told us that there is more to do um, especially in the, in the field that you've outlined artificial intelligence is a very useful way of giving people information they need when they need it and i think the the wave of series and alexas is going to raise the bar on the quality of of artificial intelligence and make brands that are dipping their toes in it really obligated to make the experience as good as what much bigger brands are doing, which is, which is a hard question to ask. And 
And um, I think it's as important for brands to consider ways that humans can be involved too. Artificial intelligence is useful, but it makes sense to make your online chat context sensitive. Some brands, for example, will know that when someone is in a high value um, shopping cart experience, let's say you're buying a laptop, that their contact center can be alerted to that because it's a high consideration purchase. It's one where if you were in a shop, you would expect to be able to ask questions and get more information than what you might find just looking at a display. And we should be thinking about how we can bring that human intelligence in too, because I think we all know that artificial intelligence has its limits. And, you know, the the Turing test of is it a human is getting better and Google is doing its best and Apple and Amazon. But there, I read an article recently that said that Siri is the new Clippy. And I don't know if you remember Clippy, but from the old Microsoft Office days when Clippy would pop up and say, it looks like you're writing a letter. Can I help? And all you wanted to do was throw your Windows laptop out the window because Clippy was not going to go away and you couldn't make it go away. And you know, Siri can do that sometimes too, or Alexa, you know, the frustration that we have with artificial intelligence is there and we need to make sure that we give users the right experience, not necessarily the, the built-in experience. And that may have more cost, but sometimes that cost is well worth taking on. It reminds me of a story I heard recently where, you know, restaurants now are using a platform where you call, but and you're, though you're talking to someone to make a reservation, but it's all automated. And it talks about what time and how many people and where you want to be seated. And it's as though you're talking to someone who is, in fact, there on the phone at, the, at that time. Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we, we saw today in one of the talks someone showing the video that was recently presented at a big Google conference where you can have a, an agent call a a hair salon and book an appointment for you and the person on the other end of the phone may not even know that it's a machine doing it and there are ethical questions about that and that the, the talk was on the ethics of user experience design and, and whether we need to be sure that users have the same information that the, that the organizations have when they're interacting with the machines. So it's a good question, but when you can take the human cost out and give people a really good experience, you have a, a long-term investment that's going to pay off very, very well. So organizations are going to constantly look at ways they can make that work well. And in the area of context-sensitive help or, or CSH, uh, is there much... You say that more needs to be done and perhaps more investment. Uh, is every country focused on this or sort of are you at the you kind of a at the, the forefront of much of that research at this point um I, I would never say that i'm at the forefront of this i i learned a lot about context sensitive help just putting together my presentation and i think we all have experiences with it so we all know it just from our own experience as users not necessarily just as user experience people but i think that the organizations that tend to do it best are those that have very large teams and are focused on making the product, the, the digital product, as good as it can be. When we are creating products for organizations where the product may be a supermarket or the product may be a, a banking experience and not something like 
eBay or Amazon or even Wikipedia, where the product is the digital asset itself, there isn't as much focus on getting those details right. But when we when you do work, when you do use a site like eBay, you'll see how much thought has gone into making that experience as frictionless as possible. And a lot of that is context-sensitive help. And I gave an example in my talk about when you look for help when something hasn't arrived on eBay, it doesn't just tell you what the process is. It knows that probably something hasn't arrived. It, it knows that you've purchased some things recently, and it shows you the items that you've purchased recently. So if you do need to report an item that has not arrived, it's right there for you. You don't have to go out of the help page, but context-sensitive help is bringing the personalization into the help experience, and that's probably where the personalized experience is going to be most valuable. must be exciting to be working in this field, bringing uh, sort of a human element back into what I guess up until now or, or in recent years has been the real focus on the technology side, um, getting that right. Uh, and we're hearing that a lot. There's a kind of a theme throughout much of this um, this conference, which is about that, that that human side of the element. Do you think we've, is that has that been a natural progression? Do you think that we've we've naturally got here, or we've been forced to get here because of because of where we've come from? As someone whose specialty is content, I don't feel as if I've ever left the human side. I feel like I've always thought of technology in the work that I do as a way of achieving human goals. And I think maybe there's a greater focus on embodying the human-centric experience into the digital design in a way that maybe wasn't as, as... prominent in the past, but I think it's always been there. And I know when I, I still write a lot of digital content, and my goal is always to make sure that whoever will be reading it will feel as if there's a human on the other side of that website that's, who's there to be helpful and who's got the information that they need. We're, we're always, every, every transaction interaction that we make is a human transaction and interaction so I, I, I think that the digital is just one more channel of many and uh, it's where everything has arrived but it hasn't changed the essential humanness of all human interaction and Gordon in this in the UX space what excites you about the next say five years one of the things that's quite interesting is that Design is suddenly no longer visual because if you were to look at how people are interacting with Alexa or Google Home or Siri, the logic of what is the font and what is the, what is the Pantone color is no longer there. Now it's about a conversation that happens between you and the machine. So as a content person, a word person... I, I suddenly realized that now the words are all you get and you get maybe a bit of tone and maybe uh, some music in the background, but it's, it's going to be a, a transformational change if we do stop looking at screens as much as we have been. I still think that it's a long way from happening. I often ask people, have you ever sent a text message with Siri? And hardly anyone among my digital design colleagues 
has done that. And it's so easy to do. You're walking down the street. You don't have to stop and use your thumbs. But we still somehow preferred that control that comes with clicking and looking compared with the... I mean, we've, we've heard the stories of people who've accidentally bought things on Amazon because something triggered Alexa to think that you wanted to buy a, a Samsung 40-inch TV and it shows up and Amazon apologizes and takes, takes it back happily. But there are risks if you don't get that confirmation screen to reassure you that everything is just right. Fascinating. We could talk for hours. Um, Gordon... Thanks for being part of UX Australia 2018. I'm glad your presentation went well, and we look forward to hearing more from you, reading more uh, from you, and, um, and, and then seeing you again at the next conference. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's been great talking.